Welcome to our podcast, What I Didn't Learn at Harvard, where super connectors who will be talking about how to network smartly in a post-pandemic world. I'm your host and moderator, Rajiv Jadav. I'm a reputation management strategist and social impact activist. My co-host is Victor Lee. He's our Harvard alum, and he will be guiding us through all the things he's learned about networking since he graduated. In the episodes that follow, you'll be hearing from experts who do networking well. Welcome to another exciting episode of Things I Didn't Learn at Harvard Podcast, hosted by me, Rajiv Jadav, and me, uh, Victor Lee, class of 78. (laughs) Today, we're joined by an amazingly interesting guest. He is known all over New York City, as well as on the East Coast and West Coast, he is the man, the myth, the legend, the man with the plan, the one and only Michael Bendit. Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Rajiv and Victor. Great to be here. Great to have you. Awesome. So, Michael, we the reason we invited you onto the show is because on the show, we're looking to speak with super connectors. You are definitely maybe a super, super, super connector. <laughs> And we want to know what is, can you tell us a little bit about when it comes to networking, what is your perspective when it comes to networking? What's your psychology and also what's your philosophy if there's such a thing? Sure. Um, Well, I believe that people do business with people they like and trust. And, you know, you have to meet people and build that trust and rapport with them uh, if you ever expect to do business with them, uh, whether that be refer business to them, get referrals from them or collaborate. So networking is an opportunity for people to get together. Uh, It's certainly uh, the topic is business networking in in the case of of my networks, but I'm interested in business. I have a personal interest in business, but I also have a personal interest in what other people do for a living and also wanna learn about them personally. Uh, and that's the way I typically go about building that rapport. It, it essentially comes naturally and it should come naturally uh, because you know, building that trust requires that you be open and um, you know, also inquisitive about what, uh, what people are doing to show that you have interest in them. Um, and they'll, you, know, you wanna work with people who have an interest in what you do as well. Uh, awesome. Awesome. Yeah, that's beautiful, Michael. That's beautiful. I think it's, I think what you're saying epitomizes the elegance of what networking was intended for, which is, you know, authentic human connection, a genuine, sincere interest in the person that you're facing to kind of know who they are, know what, what their taste, habits, preferences are, and to, and to then make a very sincere 
and genuine connection with them. So I guess the I guess the follow up question to that, Michael, is what are some of the questions that you typically ask people in that first conversation? Uh, do you do you start with the cliche? What do you do, or what do you do for fun, or tell tell us? Please demystify that for us. Absolutely. Well, certainly breaking the ice. First time you meet somebody, if it's at an event, um, perhaps you know, if it's not one of my events where I tend to know most of the people there. If I'm meeting somebody for the first time, um, I often like break the ice with humor or I'll be just very, very polite. If they're having a conversation, I, I would say, do you mind if I, if I listen in or, you know, uh, butt in, so to speak. And I've never been turned down. Um, I guess uh, people are there to network and they certainly want to invite people in. Um, and then you know, I usually just pick up on the conversation uh, if it's in a setting like a cocktail setting. Um, or certainly if it's somebody that I know or had been introduced to in the past, I'll go up to them and say, oh, it's so great to see you again. You know, what are you up to? I, I don't jump immediately into what do you do for a living um, in most cases, although I'm curious, I wanna know, and people certainly like to talk about what they do. Um, and that's a good way to figure out, okay, who can I introduce this person to? Who might be able to help them? I'm always thinking about other people I know in my network that might be a good introduction because they're, I think they're on a similar wavelength or they've got um, compatible, potentially compatible uh, synergistic businesses. Um, that's sort of a hat that I wear. I wanna learn about them so that I could see, okay, who, how can I bring them into my network and who can I connect them with that would be meaningful. So Michael, that, that's that's great suggestions. I think there's, there's a way to you know get to know people, new people. So can you tell us? So you've, you've built this network of connections. What prompted you to form your own groups? What are you looking to get out of it? Um, how do, how do you select the people? You mentioned you know you invite people you know to the group. Which of the people do you know get the get the golden ticket to a Michael Bennett networking group? And what what should they be looking for out of the group? Um, so I founded a networking group called the Marketing Network um, about 10 years ago, uh, and that was modeled on um, BNI, essentially. I, I had heard of other groups that are uh, category exclusive, meaning that there's only one person um, from each business category. Uh, so, you know, in BNI, you'd have one uh, real estate lawyer, you might have another lawyer who does litigation or divorce, but there's no two people doing the same thing. And then you have everything from plumbers to you know, acupuncturists to whatever. Um, and my ex-wife actually attended uh, a BNI for a couple of years. Um, and she was impressed by it, but it wasn't a good fit for her. Um, but I thought it was, a, con it was a, a great idea, particularly what she described and what I think the group uh, BNI describes as power subgroups or something along those lines. And those tend to be people in the same industry. So the real estate power subgroup uh, is, a, is a, typically a very successful group because people refer business, right? The, 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 the real estate lawyer, the broker, the, the um, under the, um, yeah, the, uh, underwriter, the title person, 
they can all relate to the other people in real estate because they know where they fit in the process. They understand their business as well. Um, so they're able to refer business to one another. So I decided, you know, rather than join a BNI, which would probably not meet my needs for enough, some of those reasons I discussed, um, I would start my own network of marketing professionals uh, in different categories. And I think uh, now marketing with digital marketing in particular, it's so fragmented uh, and so specialized that you know, it's not difficult to get 10, 15, even 20 people into a room whose businesses don't overlap very much. You know, they focus on different niche areas. Um, and uh, I've built the, uh, the, the marketing network uh, up to, I think it at its peak had about 15 or 16 members. Uh, it's certainly gone up and down, but I was the, my core business is representing software development teams. So it's my business software development resources um, represents teams that do a lot of work in the marketing space. And so I decided I would focus on, in my networking, I would focus on marketing because um, you know, it's great for me to get, uh, build relationships with, with digital marketing agencies um, that might need our services and other people uh, that, that might be able to refer as business for building websites and mobile applications and e-commerce sites. So you built your own power subgroup around marketing. Yeah, essentially, yeah. It's a, it's a power right. group because it's not sub of anything. It is, right. it, it is its own group. Uh, and also some of the other things that I didn't like so much about the BNI model um, and that people do complain about um, is they feel it's a bit too rigid. There's um, many people feel it's a bit too rigid. There's this thing of leads and you know, you're know scored on everything. It's very structured. Um, it's very structured. Now, the other couple of things that people don't like is a lot of those meet at 7 a.m. <laughs> and you know, so you'd have to get up at like six or depending on how far you are from the, from the, uh, the meeting place, um, you know, 5.30. Uh, and then the third thing was they meet every week um, and you have to maintain a certain level of uh, attendance and every week can be a bit, I thought a bit onerous. So I started my meetings at, I uh, start my meetings at 8.30 in the morning on Fridays and it's every other Friday or twice a month. And are you still doing that even during the pandemic as well? well and you also have a virtual group, right? Yes. So we went virtual um, during the pandemic. Prior to that, we were meeting in a conference room in, in Chelsea in, in Manhattan. Um, and uh, it, it's, I think it's much better to meet in person. Uh, if you can, you build those connections. Um, actually, you know, you, we would, somebody would bring in refreshments. So somebody would bring in bagels or, you know, a breakfast. Um, and uh, if you're, familiar with uh, the etymology, maybe you had mentioned it, the word company, um, companion comes from with bread, con pan uh, in Latin. Ah, and so eating, wow. sharing bread is the original way of, of meeting and connecting with people. Um, and so having breakfast, I think sort of adds a, a level of intimacy, so to speak, to, to those meetings. Difficult to do over Zoom. But yes, during the pandemic, we have been meeting uh, over Zoom, which of course is time efficient, right? You don't have to travel to the location, uh, but you don't quite get that same level of connectivity and connection, I should say, that you get when you're in person. 
And then how did your other group originate? And how is that different in, in terms of the people you're looking for, what people should, you know, are gonna get out of it? So the other group, um, which is called the Trusted Referral Network, uh, is just like uh, the, the marketing network was based on BNI, I would say that the Trusted Referral Network is based on my experience with the marketing network. Um, so, I thought this is great. You know, we have 10, 15, 20 people getting together on a regular basis. Why can't I expand upon this um, nationally, ultimately? And certainly with the pandemic, being able to network, uh, people getting used to networking via Zoom made that more possible. Uh, he actually uh, germinated prior to uh, the pandemic, but I think it caught on more during the pandemic when people were looking for ways to, to network um, that were not in person, that we could do it on, on the computer. So it's a similar model, except it's not category exclusive. You can't have a national network with hundreds and hundreds of people and only have one photographer. Um, so- No. <laughs> you could have one photographer. But I don't think you'd be able group. to cover. <laughs> yeah, well, not with hundreds of people, right? So, um, but uh, I, you know, I don't think people are as concerned about that, um, especially in a large setting, uh, than than they would be in a small group setting, um, especially if they're getting together on a regular basis in a small group. So the national network actually ultimately will become a network of local chapters that do have that more intimate feeling and where you can have that category exclusivity. So essentially, the trusted referral network will have lots of um, marketing networks within it, one in, you know, in various cities around the country. Uh, they could also be affiliations um, around industry uh, focus. You know, there's no reason why you can't have uh, 10 different people who provide marketing services to the legal industry, for example, with people focusing on different areas. Um, and because they're all doing marketing in the legal industry, they can refer business to each other more easily, they could collaborate, uh, and there's more of those opportunities. But it's really up to the members to decide how they want to, to group themselves and how they want to run their chapters. Okay, so Michael, you, you mentioned um, a lot of you know, kind of the ways that these different groups are structured and what they offer. So I'm sure that, you know, like, I'm sure the three of us on this call and a lot of our listeners get lots of invitations or offers to attend or join different networking groups. So because they're your audience, how, how would you suggest to folks listening to this, how should they think about the different groups? Should they belong to lots of them, a few of them, specialized groups, general groups, geographic groups? You know, what, what's the kind of, how do you sort of sort through because you could easily spend your entire week going from group to group and not actually getting any business done. Yeah, yeah. Um, there is a balance. Certainly, you have to figure out how much time do I have each week to spend networking. Uh, and some people obviously focus more on that because their, their business or their job is business development. So constantly reaching out to people and connecting with them and, and bringing them into your, your world uh, and getting into their world is, is critical. So I, because I'm, uh, my core business is, is doing sales representation for these uh, software development teams, I spend a lot of time 
networking. Um, and so I belong to, of course, my own networks, but I also am engaged in two or three others on a regular basis. Um, so that's a lot. That's a five, four or five networks sort of regularly engaged. Um, I think that if you're going to do networking effectively, you should at least be involved in two networks and, you know, involved in two networks and then attend others as well as guests. Um, maybe you want to check others out. Maybe you want to add to that two and make it three uh, and find the ones that are right for you. Uh, but I think the cross-pollination is so valuable uh, because you, you know who you have in each of your networks, and, but those people don't know. Um, and so you can connect across, across those networks. Um, and that's the beauty of it. It's, I, you know, I think of myself as, in some respects, uh, like a bee pollinating between, from one network to another uh, and, and making those connections. And how do people behave, I guess, behave is kind of being the operative word here. I mean, are they, should they be out there selling like, you know, or should it be more telling people about themselves? And, you know, and the other question I guess I have is, are you, should they constantly be on the lookout for new people or settle into a group where it's a comfortable group, you get to know them and you can kind of go deeper, right? So is it wide versus deeper and how do you position yourself? How should one position themselves? Uh, that's a lot of questions there, but I'll, I'll try to, I'll try to address them. Um, so as I started, as I mentioned at the start, I think you need to behave naturally and, um, you know, be inquisitive. It's a lot like meeting new people outside of the business environment. You know, you want to learn about them, what they do. You want to tell them about what you do, um, and find commonality. I think, you know, finding those common bonds is what creates, friendships and um, ultimately being able to help somebody else out is, is what effective networking is all about. Um, so try to you know, behave naturally. Uh, some people are more introverts. I'm, I happen to be sort of right on the, on the line between introvert and extrovert. So I have the ability to you know, connect with some of my more introverted clients being the, the software development teams. Uh, and dig that you know deep into the sort of the technical stuff, uh, but I can also connect with people on a interpersonal level, uh, you know, in an environment where I do a lot of networking. So be natural, try to help each other out. I mean, it's all about building that trust. And by that, I think that um, you know some of the the greatest things that you could do to build that trust is help somebody else out. Ask them. Uh, as you pointed out, Victor, to me, you know, ask them for a small favor. Um, you know, can you introduce me to somebody who, you know, is not such a big lift, right? Somebody maybe in their own company um, or a friend or whatever, um, just to get that quid pro quo, natural quid pro quo going, right? It, it, you don't want to force it. Um, you don't want to seem transactional uh, because that turns people off. But listen, you're building up. I, I, I definitely am a believer in social capital. Um, you know, people that you trust, people that you uh, like to be with and work with, that's your social capital. And um, hopefully they feel the same about you and will think about you when they have an opportunity that arises. Sure. No, that's great. Yeah, I think the term I've seen is like, is ambivert? 
which, which, which is kind of, oh, stuck me, it's kind of sound like amphibian, but we obviously does not apply like ambidextrous, ambivert, ambidextrous. Oh, yeah, ambidextrous. Okay, that sounds much better. So ambiverts can be ambidextrous when it comes to networking. How's that? Right. Exactly. Interesting. Exactly. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, Michael, so uh, I guess I had a question, right? So uh, I think a lot of your um, networking, you know, the things that you offer people, you know, have uh, to do in some part, some way, shape or form with your first experience at BNI. And then uh, the BNI experience inspired you to, you know, innovate in that space. And then the marketing network came out of that. And then further innovation led to the trusted referral network. So I guess the, the question here is, what is, uh, or how would you describe the experience of either the marketing network or the trusted referral network as a participant? Like how do those experiences differ from each other? And also largely, how do those experiences differ from let's say the old school way of networking, AKA a la BNI? Or, right, right. Yeah. So, so certainly the marketing network is more closely modeled after a BNI chapter. Um, we met in person. We met, you know, on a regular basis. Uh, it is category exclusive. What differs, what, what differs from the uh, BNI is the fact that it's only in marketing. Again, some of the other factors not quite as rigid. Um, and we, you know, we decided how that group should run. Um, if you work with BNI, there's a lot of rules and regulations about how, uh, how it should run. So having that autonomy, uh, doing it ourselves and building it ourselves, I think, and, and letting it evolve um, ourselves, I you know, makes it, I think, more comfortable. People have, feel like they have ownership in the group. Uh, and it is more intimate. You get to know people. I mean, I've been networking with a lot of some of these people in that group for 10 years. Nice. So um, I certainly know them quite well. Uh, we've had lots of one-on-ones, but we also always try to bring in guests. Um, and these are guests who uh, could be future members. Perhaps, you know, it's an area that we haven't filled or somebody left and we have to fill it again. Uh, it could be uh, in that group, we didn't have a seat for either a general marketing uh, services company, like a, a, a marketing broad-based marketing agency, nor a PR agency. Um, and that was intentional because we wanted to bring those people in as guests because the people around the table are all specialists and could provide services via or to a, a generalized, a general marketing agency. So we decided let's not have somebody take that seat because then we could bring in lots of digital marketing agencies and marketing strategy groups or whatever else in as guests and we'll get the word out about what each of us does uh, and then but it's up to the members to then connect one-on-one -on -one with the with the guests that they think are potentially a, a good connection uh, we also tried to meet one-on-one -on -one amongst ourselves you know that could sometimes fade as well if you don't stay on top of it even though you meet almost because you meet with these people twice a month um you figure oh that's enough i don't need to meet with them one-on-one -on -one. but it's really those one-on-one -on -one meetings that help you develop those relationships and get a better understanding of what the other person does and where they really stand out now, i've been surprised by uh 
on one-on-ones, people I've been networking for quite some time, how they really don't under, didn't understand what I did. And I, I say that's my own fault because I didn't spend enough time with them telling them how the software development resources company works and what type of services we provide. So that's where it sticks. It certainly takes repetition for somebody to understand what you do. Yeah. Um, so you do need to meet with them one-on-one in different environments um, so that not only do they remember, oh, Michael, but they remember Michael and software capabilities. Well, okay. so that's why it's called a commercial, right? You know, because the commercial plays over and over and over. And I guess that's the reason I, I think. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. look, we're all marketing people, right? And one of the rules of marketing is frequency. Yes. So a lot of it, I, I think that's a great suggestion maybe to kind of wrap things up on, Michael, is that, you know, it's, it's a continuing process. It's not just going to the networking meeting. It's not just meeting, you know, the people who are in the meeting, and it's not just having a one-on-one with them after the meeting. It's building an ongoing relationship, right? right? So that you really build, like you said, you get to know them, like them, trust them. So that takes usually more than one meeting. And then also things change. Things change for you. Things change for them. And so if there's somebody who really, you know, you want to have as part of your close network, it's good to have the ongoing relationship. So, so that it, it uh, as things change over time, right, you continue to, to, you know, you both continue to get value out of this. So that was great, Michael. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah, and, Michael. and Michael, maybe just to kind of, uh, you know, end the episode, uh, could you maybe just share with our listeners a little bit about software development resources, like what it is, uh, what it does, what it's known for, or at least if you had a choice, what would you like for it to be known for? <laughs> Sure. So um, Software Development Resources is an independent uh, sales rep firm, um, and it's just me. I represent about 10 different software development teams, boutique software development teams. Um, They tend to be anywhere from a couple of people. Uh, My larger teams have two, three hundred people. Yeah. And um, my job is to match the need, the client need with the right team. Uh, and so those teams have different sets of capabilities. They work on different platforms, different technologies, different languages, different app- types of applications. Um, and it's complex for somebody who's not familiar with the software world uh, and custom software development. You know, where to go to? How do, who do I trust? How do I, you know, how do I find the right team? Because you could be spending a lot of money in developing software. So um, I build that trust with people so they know they can come to me and I will guide them through understanding not only which type of team they need, but also some strategy around what they should be building, how they should be building it, um, and and taking them through a process so that they're not overwhelmed. Um, And we do a lot, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of business in the marketing world, I'd say about 60% of our business is marketing types of applications, whether that be websites or e-commerce sites or mobile applications. And then, uh, you know, most of the balance is with startups. So we're working with small companies or startups who have a unique need, um, whether it's their first product that they're building or an operation system that they need that makes them unique. Um, And, you know, my role is to obviously bring those parties together, but to understand what they both need, one in terms of a uh, you know, the client in terms of 
their business needs and how that needs to translate into uh, a technical system. And on the, uh, <clears throat> on the team side, I need to know what, they ca what they're capable of delivering, what they're comfortable with, um, so that I can make that match. You know, it's not, it's not a good match if, um, if either side is not happy. So my job is to make sure it's a, it's a good match. They wanna work together. I sometimes liken it to a insurance broker, right? You don't pay the insurance broker anything. The insurance broker gets paid by the insurance company that they connect you with. But they have every interest, of course, in making sure that they find the right policy for you with the right company so that you stick with it, right? Um, because if you drop it, you know, their commission goes out the window um, and they want to make sure that you're, you're happy and, and that the insurance company is a good fit for, for your needs. Oh, that's beautiful. That, that really is beautiful. <laughs> uh, yeah, Victor, yeah, uh, it looks like you wanted to say something. No, no, sorry. Uh, the, the guy with the lawnmower was coming by, so. <laughs> oh, gotcha. <laughs> so so I'll, I'll toss it to you, Rajiv, to uh, take us out. Yeah, so Michael, this has been a tremendous conversation. I think our listeners have greatly benefited from your wisdom, your insight, your perspective, as well as potentially a game plan or a strategy to adopt or considering to adopt when they, you know, the next time they're thinking of going to some kind of networking meeting, whether it's regardless, whether it's in-person or virtual. And I think you have given our listeners a lot of perspective on some of the best practices uh, as a master networker yourself. So, for, so I just want to acknowledge you for that and thank you for sharing your wisdom with us so generously, as well as giving us tools and resources to employ pretty much immediately. So thank you for that, Michael. Yeah, I'll add. Thank, um, thank you, Michael. Oh, absolutely, thank you both. I'll, I'll just add that if people want to explore the Trusted Referral Network, um, we have a website, trustref.net, um, and it's mostly a directory of the members so that members can connect with one another. But that was another, enhancement to the, the networking that I had done in the past is to add some technology into it to facilitate uh, people in the, in the group to connect with each other. Awesome. Yeah, that, that's beautiful. And all these links are going to be in the episode description. So uh, including the various, uh, whatever links you authorize, obviously. And this way, then the listeners can then click on the links and visit and uh, either uh, go to whichever networking experience they think is appropriate for them. So uh, thanks again, Michael. This has been tremendous and we'd love to have you on the show later at some point. Thank you so much to uh, Rajiv and Victor for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Michael. Please send us your comments and questions about networking by posting them in the comments below. Or for a quick response, email us at dintlearn at harvard at gmail.com. Please like, comment, and subscribe. It means the world to us. Try today's networking nugget and tell us whether it worked or if you hate it or if you'd like us to brainstorm a solution for you. No charge. That's our way of saying thank you for supporting us by listening and sharing our content 
with people you care about. That's all this week from Rajiv and Victor. Thanks for listening to Things I Didn't Learn at Harvard. Hopefully, you learned something here today.